With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. What's happening, everybody? Welcome into a brand new episode of Crossed Up. Anthony Sanfilippo is here. And I'm Bob Wankel and Anthony. The Phillies, they're hitting home runs. They're winning games. They're pulling ahead in the wild card race. Are they going to leave everyone else in the dust? Are the Phillies going to cruise to the top spot in the National League wild card when it's all said and done? And more importantly, how are you holding up? Because you have been down at that stadium by my count. Let's see. Has it been seven straight days now? Is that is that what we're working on here? Seven straight days, and one of them was rained out, so the other one was a double header. So, yes, uh, you know, the, I think the emotion of the no-hitter um, and then going back yesterday, I was exhausted at the game yesterday because it was a little bit of a letdown, too. I mean, in the sense that the game was was pretty boring until the till the sixth inning when they started hitting runs fifth and sixth inning when they hit all the runs um but yeah I'm, it sounds like i'm getting a night off tonight bob is this true yeah they're they're dusting <laughs> off the backup i'm like you know the garrett Stubbs of uh crossing broads baseball coverage i'm gonna come in and and uh try to give you a little bit of a rest tonight so i'll make my way down there i might actually have to put the stadium address into the gps make sure i, I figure out how to get back there <laughs> now, it's, it's actually it's funny because i was there uh for the double header too but we we obviously consumed that game in a little bit of a different way i had eight beers and you know and by the end of the second game i was thinking to myself i'm like damn i'm I'm pretty tired. I really feel for Anthony. You know, he's been down here the the four previous days too. So uh, yeah. I'm looking forward to getting down there. I'm sure I'll probably bring the cold spell for the offense, but uh, it's it's been a it's been a good homestand here, and it's the homestand that the, that they've needed. And you know, you hope that they don't take their foot off the gas. And there are a couple injury concerns, I guess, that that are uh, popping up here after last night's game, and we'll get to that in a little bit. But you know, I think I said to you last week. I wasn't thoroughly excited about where they were even after that Miami series because they didn't hit. They weren't hitting. We talk about the big five and everyone says, well, if those guys don't perform, they can't win. And I think the reason why it gets said to almost this, this nauseating level where you're just like, oh my God, you know, it's because it's true. But then you look over the, the past week and, and granted, I know it's the Royals, it's the Nationals, the pitching here is not exactly electric. But they're starting to hit with some pop. They're starting to hit with some thump. You look at where Trey Turner was a week ago and where he's at right now. It's a total 180. Nick Castellanos, and I really want to get into him in some depth in a little bit. He looks like he's figured things out here in August. You're starting to see, like, Real Muto goes the other way the, uh, and hits the home run. Like, you're starting to see some things here. Now, there there are some, some issues, and we'll, we'll get to them, but... I just feel so much better about where they're at from an offensive standpoint. That gives me a lot more optimism moving forward right now. Yeah. Um, I mean, look, 18 home runs in the last seven games. I mean, that's something else. Um, and and most of them are coming with runners on base. So it's it's not like it's just, you know, home run or nothing. You got guys getting, you know, having good at bats, finding their way on base and then guys hitting home runs when those guys are on base. So it's a, it's the, it's the perfect combination, right? I mean, you want those things you don't want it to just be, you know, all or nothing swings when you go up there, you want guys to have a good approach. Um, but you, you know, taking advantage of pitches in, in the right spot and looking for pitches in the right spot, not chasing pitches out of the zone. I mean, that was the thing that, that was killing this team for so long is they were just swinging at freaking everything. And you'd be like, my God, you're not, what are you doing? And that's when the offense was really struggling. But now you see, are they still going to strike out? Yes, they, they still do. They still do. But they work a lot. They, I mean, Patrick Corbin stinks, but they had seven walks yesterday. Walks, yeah. 
seven walks. I mean, that, some of that's on the batter too. I mean, the pitcher stinks to walk a guy seven walk got seven guys, but that some of that's on the batter to have you know good at bats, fouling pitches off, and and having a good eye to take pitches that that aren't you know that are out of the zone and maybe they would have swung at before. So. Yeah, it's a, it's a really nice combination that they got going right now, and and it's so funny. Like Bob, we had the we've always had how many times have we had the Schwarber leadoff conversation, right? Sure. I mean, so many times we've had that conversation, and w- what it's come down to now is is you look at it and say, okay, here's a guy who leads a team in home runs with thirty, he leads the team in RBI, and he's batting leadoff. Well, that. If you look back a year ago when he led the team in home runs at 46, he had the lowest RBI total in the history of the game for someone who had 46 or more home runs. He had 94 RBI last year. So that meant that there weren't as many guys on base. So this is a testament to the depth of the Phillies lineup this year that the bottom of the order is getting on base and allowing Schwarber the opportunities to drive in more runs. Plus, he's also second in the league in, in walks, I think, he, uh, at this point, right? So, I mean, there is – yeah, it's weird to have a 180 hitter leading off. It really, really is. I get it. I understand it. But for the way that this lineup is constructed, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and and we know that there's – especially with Schwarber specifically, there's these ebbs and flows. It gets very hot. gets very cold. The power's there. Then it kind of goes away. And sometimes you're like, this is it's so stupid. I can't believe they're doing this. But – it works and it's great. And when you see him, like he does, he has the first game on um, on Tuesday uh, where, where he, you know, hits the two home runs. You're feeling great about it. And then, you know, there's going to come that time again where he, he goes a week, like we just saw, and he's in the middle of a four for 51. And you're like, why are they doing this? But when you look at the net, it just seems to continue to work for them. But you go back to where we were in like February, March, and talking about what this lineup looks like and how difficult it's going to be, and it's going to be such a grind for opposing pitchers. And we've seen for such prolonged stretches this year that not be the case, where the where the Phillies' offense is frankly feeble. It, it was kind of the total opposite of what we had anticipated. But right now you're in this stretch where you look at the lineup top to bottom and you start to feel really good about almost every single piece of it. And to me, the, the game changer in all of this is Alec Bohm. Because when you look at Alec Bohm, and, and we talk about the Big Five, and, and we obviously understand that Nick Castellanos is red hot right now. But when I look at Bohm, I've, I've kind of like toggled back and forth between I really like his game, I like the approach, the ability to hit with runners in scoring positions, basically been there all year especially on a team where nobody else can seem to do it with any consistency. But then you look at the power numbers, you look at the lack of walks, and you say, like, for a corner infielder, his offensive punch just isn't there. Like, I don't know that you can move forward with this long term. But you look up right now, and like, he's in a stretch in his last 15 games where he's hitting 365 with a 1.056 OPS, starting to drive the ball into the gaps a little bit. It's not like his home run totals are, are astronomical, but you're seeing that he's able to deliver occasionally in that front. Like, I'm not just cherry picking 15 days here either. You can stretch it back to 30, 40 days. He's been pretty good here now for a prolonged stretch. And at the top of the order, it just it it just really lengthens things. And, and so I've while there's all these guys that are hot right now, I've really looked at Bowman and said, man, if the, he can just stay there. Like to me, that's the next step. Like we know he has it in him. But can you keep it there? And, and you know, that's, I, I guess, what I want to talk about first today. Like, what are you seeing from him right now? And, and do you think that maybe not at 365 with a 1,000-plus OPS, but has he turned the corner here or, or what? Yeah, I, you know, the thing of it is, Bob, the one thing that I really, really like about him is I really think that he doesn't get cheated in his at-bats, right? Like, I think that – I don't think he goes up there and wastes anything. Like, I, I think when he goes up there every at-bat, the guy has a really good approach to the to the at-bat. You, rarely do you see Alec Bohm go up there and it's, you know, three pitches, strike out, or, you know, swings at a pitch, you know, takes a pitch and then swings at a pitch out of the zone and hits a pop-up. I mean, yeah, look, the guy makes outs. I mean, he, you know, he, sometimes he beats the ball into the ground too much. We've talked about that in the past, too. Um, but I really see, like, a consistent, approach at the plate and so i think that's why he's so good if you go through the whole season 
with runners in scoring position because he has that ability to work and at bat and to to really be selective and you know know how to waste a pitch you know like you know all right i'm just going to foul this one off and get, go after another one and keep fouling them off and then and then actually dr- you know drive a ball up the middle the most important thing with alec bone that i like is he uses the whole field that i mean he can hit the ball anywhere and i think that that's that's the that's what makes him a, a, an ideal two hitter at this point for this team. So do I think he can keep up a, a good enough pace to stay there for the rest of the season? I do. Um, I do still still wish that there was more pop, more drive to his swing, and we've seen a little bit of it. I mean, he had the home run the other, the other night, right? I mean, so I mean, we we see we see it come out every once in a while. Um, but uh, you know what, if, if, if he ends up being, look, maybe that's just because we see, you know, his frame, right. And his size. And you say there should be more there. If he ends up just being a guy who is consistently getting hits and, and, you know, getting on base and he's a clutch hitter for you and he's batting in that two hole and he's going to get pitches to hit because he's batting in front of Harper and he does what he's supposed to do with them. Fine. I'm good with it. I'm really, really, really good with it. Yeah, I don't have a he is on pace for 17 home runs and 102 runs batted in. Yeah. And, you know, I say, like, in a perfect world, you want a corner infielder to hit 25 home runs yeah. and, and hit a ton of doubles. And is he a little bit short in that front? Sure. But, like, it's not like he's hitting 10 home runs here, you know? like Correct. So th- th- there has been some growth there. I don't know how much more untapped potential there is in that front. Maybe a little bit more. Like, could he be a guy that over the next three seasons hits 20 homers a year? I, I don't think that that's an impossibility. He's, he's sort of knocking on the door of that right now. So it's not like he's woefully inept in terms of, of power potential, but he isn't that pure 25, 30 home run guy that you thought you might have when he first came up. Uh, but really just kind of impressed with where he's at right now. And the other guy that I'm, I'm really impressed with is Nick Cassianos. And we've had discussions on the show. We've had discussions privately. We know that he's he's been streaky since he's been here. And we know how much confidence and feel plays into his production. I mean, he's talked about it, and he's talked about it numerous times. And when you look at what he went through during the month of July, it was hard not to feel like, hey, you know, number one, mechanically, he's a mess. The timing is way off. But the stretch was so prolonged and it was so ugly for so long, and we had what we saw in 2022, you could not help but wonder. I mean, it's not to be a hot take artist. It's not to be like a doomsday guy, but it was hard not to wonder if everything positive that happened to him the first few months of the season, if it was all being undone. Like, was the confidence shot? Was he going home at night and saying, like, I'm totally lost again. Here we go again. And he's proven that that's not the case. And, you know... You've kind of, you've been the guy that's talked to him throughout the course of the season. I feel like you have a good rapport with him specifically, and you've you've I think on this show provided some pretty good insight to where he's at as this season has moved along. But I did text you. It was funny. Like there are certain things that you see from different angles, and sometimes in the press box, I don't think that you get the best look at at certain things. And I was down the first baseline on Tuesday night in that second game. And I had texted you, and I just said, I'm looking at him straight ahead, and I see, you know, he's obviously in the right-handed batter's box, and you could just see the timing. And what did I tell you? I said, he is on it right now. Like, even when he was swinging through pitches, like, the timing was right there. I mean, he's figured it out. Like, it looks real here. Yeah, it does. And and that's a a good thing for the Phillies, because, you know, July was an awful, awful month for Nick Castellanos. Um, And... I don't know if it was, you know, it, it's so weird with him. Like, I, 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 like he just has this thing where sometimes when I think when he starts going wrong, that I think that they've they figured out. Like, he needs some kind of like outside comforts to kind of like bring him back, right? To kind of get. It's weird. Like every time, just and I, I don't want to make light of this because this is this is I think a legitimate thing. I, I've never seen a, an athlete in all of my years covering Philadelphia sports 
have their kid around as much as Nick Castellanos has Liam around. Right. And he's not, the kid is not a distraction by any means. He's, if anything, he's like an ambassador at least at this point for the, for the Phillies. I mean, he's just awesome. This kid and the players love him. They all like, they consider him like part of the team. Like it's, it's really cool uh, to, to just watch that, that dynamic, right. Just in that, in the clubhouse. But I think that that's part of it. Like it makes him feel good that his that he's got his kid there with him all the time. Or when he went to Miami and he went and he called his brother and 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 uh, and his best friend or whatever who always throws BP to him. And they went to his home batting cage in his house uh, and they were having beers until like one in the morning, just swinging and getting this getting getting his swing right. And then all of a sudden he goes on an eleven game hitting streak after that. And and you know he's putting balls out of the yard all the time. And he's he's got his timing. Yeah, and he's not chasing pitches out of the zone again. It's it's like there are comforts for Nick Castellanos that have nothing to do with baseball that makes him a better baseball player. And uh, I, I think that they've identified that, and they're going to try and make sure that, that, that those are always provided to him so that he can stay on this path. Let me give you a couple quick numbers here. He's currently on pace for 28 home runs and 102 yeah. runs batted in. And if you go and look at his career numbers, only once has he hit more than 28 home runs. And that was in 2021 when he hit 34 for Cincinnati. So he's right there in terms of of one of his best power years ever. And he's never knocked in more than 101. So if he does finish at 102, that's a career high. When you look at what he did last year, he finishes the season with what? 13 home runs, 62 Mm -hmm. runs batted in, and he missed some time last year. But this was the player the Phillies thought they were getting when they signed him. And it's it's been so refreshing to see, like, okay, you're not getting the reduced version of him. Like, I think if if I would have said to you back in February, if we just get, like, 80%, 70% of what we thought Nick Castellanos was going to be, would you take that right now? Because last year was such a mess. But you're actually getting really essentially the best version of him. Now, when you look at OPS, like, yeah, I mean, sure, you go back to 2021, it was a 939 OPS, right? Like, is he there? Yeah, he, also right hit, now? he also hit what? Three, what did he hit? 320 that year? 315? Yeah, he, he like hit that? 309 with a 362 yeah, on base percentage, but he slugged 576. Like, yeah, that's his, that's going to be probably be the best, you know, year of his, of his career. So, but you're still getting something in line with what his peak is what his peak performance is and uh, he's, he's carrying him right now. I mean, you look at what he's done this month and I mean, he's been phenomenal. He's hitting 302 in August of 1.039 OPS, six home runs. I mean, he's, he's been that middle of the order force that this team needs him to be. And I talk about what's going to look like in October. What's this team ceiling. If, if it was going to be, we have to pull Nick Castellanos into the postseason again, I tell you, I wouldn't be really enthusiastic about what's what's going to happen. But if if he can be this guy, or even something reasonably close to it, oh man, this lineup just has a totally different feel to it. You, you know, he has the. This is I didn't even realize this until I just looked just now. He has the highest slugging percentage on the team. He's higher than Schwarber in slugging, Amazing. which I didn't think was possible. But I guess you know Schwarber doesn't do anything. You know, doesn't have a lot of extra base hits other than the home runs. Whereas Cassianos is still, you know, he's got 26 doubles, leads the team right. in doubles as well, right? But uh, the interesting thing is with the power, with the power uh, uh, surge here, with not just Cassianos, but with the entire team. If I remember correctly, Bob, if we go back, I don't know, it was maybe a month, month, maybe a month ago, maybe a little bit more than a month ago. Kyle Schwarber had hit his whenever it was. It was whenever he hit his 20th home run. It was the episode right after he hit his 20th home run. We asked. How many Phillies will reach twenty? And we didn't think anybody but Schwarber at that point. Yeah. Now Castellanos got there, and the way he's going is, you know, like you said, he's on pace for twenty-eight. I know Turner's pace is not twenty yet, but if Trey Turner keeps hitting the way Trey Turner's been hitting for the past week, he's he he could get to twenty. He's at twelve right now. He could get to twenty. Real Muto's at 14. I think he's got a shot at 20. So all of a sudden now, you've got guys that are going to get to the – if, if at the end of the year, you got Kyle Schwarber at, you know, 42 and Nick Castellanos at 28 
and Turner and Real Muto at 20, and then Harper's starting to get a little bit of pop back, right? Maybe maybe he gets to 15, but you, but he's on the upswing. Yeah. You're, you're there, man. Yeah, you, just based on, on pure pacing, uh, Turner's on pace for 17, Real Muto's uh, on pace for 20 on the nose. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. But I think, like I said, I think Turner – Turner, he's only on pace for he's on pace for seventeen only because of how bad the first half was, right? Or, but so I think if he gets, if just if he could just keep doing what he's doing and become the Trey Turner that everybody expected him to be, I think he'll hit more than five home runs the rest of the year. Uh, speaking of Trey Turner, uh, where where are you at on him now? Uh, you know, certainly we talked about the fans and and that whole thing on on Tuesday, and we don't need to go back down that road. But you look at his last seven games now. I guess this this homestand. And he's 10 for his last 27. He has six extra base hits, four doubles, two homers. He's knocked in eight. Uh, and and kind of almost even more refreshing is that uh, in 28 plate appearances, he's only struck out four times. So yeah. uh, that lets you know that there's been a little bit more of a competitive nature to his at-bats, too. He's not just freely swinging at absolutely everything and, and just becoming this automatic out. Um I'm sure that there was probably a point in April where the batting average over seven days was better. He's he's maybe had better seven day stretches this season. If he has, I, I don't necessarily recall it. Um, I guess he had a game back. Uh, I, what was it in, in early June, maybe where he hit two home runs against the Tigers. Like I, I know he's had his moments, but is this the best we've seen Trey Turner this season? And do we think that he is now Trey Turner again? Like, how do you read this? Well, it's certainly the best we've seen Trey Turner because it's been consistent, right? I mean, like I, and it's exactly. I was glad you pointed out that he only struck out four times, because those at bats have been so much better the past week. Just so much better. He's not out there just trying to hit any pitch that the pitcher's throwing. He's being selective. He's he's going after pitches that he knows he can hit. And yeah, are there still a few that, you know, are just not like, oh man, what are you doing there? But at the same time, you're going to have that all the time. I mean, that's just, the, that's just the nature of pitching and hitting. Sometimes, sometimes the pitcher wins, right? <laughs> I mean, it's okay. It's okay. Even if you're the best player in the game, you're going to get beat by the pitcher sometimes, right? So, so on those at bats, you go, okay, fine, you know, good on the pitcher. But yes, I'm seeing a much flatter swing by Trey Turner. He's not uppercutting a lot of things and popping the ball up and hitting those lazy fly balls as, with, with with as much frequency. Um, he's not chasing as many pitches out of the zone. Um, so, yeah, I, I this is good. Now, we do have the caveat, like you said at the beginning, that it's the pitching staffs of the Royals and the Nationals. Um, this weekend will be an interesting one because the Twins actually, for you know, they're, they're not a great team. Um, they're winning the AL Central only because the AL Central is the worst division in baseball. But they, if nothing else, the Twins have good pitching, and he's going to face some decent pit. Now I should, yeah, I put the let me put a little asterisk because Dallas Keuchel is not a good pitcher, and he's right. pitching tonight. But the other two guys that they're getting, they're going to get Lopez tomorrow, and they're going to get Gray on 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 Sunday. They're decent pitchers. So so you know if he keeps this through the weekend, you say okay, that's a that's pretty good, that's pretty good, and you know that's yeah, that's a nice home stand, and that could kind of get you to be. You know, to stay at this way going forward and, the, you know, the Trey Turner you expected when you signed him is, is now finally showing up in August. One other quick question here, uh, because we just mentioned JT Real Muto, and th there's a couple different ways that you can look at this, I guess. I, I think that the consensus here is that he's had somewhat of an, an underwhelming season. He certainly had a good game last night, but when you look at it, like, Still, the OPS is 767. He's hitting 246. He's still pretty good defensively. Is he the best catcher in baseball this season? No, I think that that's probably pretty fair to say. But I guess the question I have for you is: Have we been have we been a little bit overly critical of JT Romuto this season, or do you think that some of the concerns have been warranted? And and I think if you wanted to kind of push back on the numbers, because I would say to you, hey, if he hits 20 home runs, plays pretty good defense, OPS lands somewhere in the, the upper 700s, not a bad year. Like, we're, we're acting like this guy's falling off a cliff. No, but, I uh, – yeah. A no, lot of these numbers have been propped up by games. Like, last night, where – and you could say that, I guess, to some degree about every player, but it really does feel like – 
hey, man, you take that three-game stretch away, and oh, my God. You know, like, there's just not been much consistency in his game. Yeah. Um, I do think sometimes we are a little overcritical of Real Muto, and I think it's – I think it's the re- – there's a reason that we are. And, and I think that the expectation here is – He's a player who is supposed to be the best at his position in the game, who is not hitting like the best. So, in other words, the numbers that you just said, if he hits 20 home runs and his OPS is high 700s, are you okay with that? And and compared to catchers in, in the sport, you say, well, yeah. I mean, that's most catchers can't do that, right? Um and you know me, I I'm a you know, I look at the numbers and I see, look, OPS plus right now is 107, which means He's better than average. <laughs> even even in this inconsistent season, he's better than average. Um, I, I guess the frustration is is the inconsistency. It's like because there are times you look at it and go, ooh, JT's had a great game or two, and then oh, all of a sudden JT is not good for six games. Right. And oh, here comes JT again, and then oh, he's not good again. And, and I, think you're, I think that that's where – we tend to get a little bit more critical of him. And so the, sure, I think your question is certainly fair that it would, you know, if he, if he got to these numbers at the end of the season, if this is what he is, like you just said, you know, high two forties, two fifty hitter, 20 home runs and, you know, seven seventy OPS, seven seventy five OPS. I would say to you that that's a down year, but if those were his numbers and he was just consistent with that to get to that, and it wasn't just these wild swings between great games, bad games. I think that we would be a little bit more acceptable of it than we are. And I think that that's kind of, a, but I think it's really astute observation by you to identify why maybe we are more overly critical of him than others. Well, we are uh, about 26 minutes in here and we didn't talk about what happened on Wednesday night, which is that, you know, Michael Lorenzen <laughs> shows up in his first game at Citizens Bank Park in front of the home crowd and throws a no hitter. And uh, it was a crazy night. You wrote a great story um, Thank you. where you talked about nights like that. You, you always remember sort of the context of it, where you were at personally. What were mm-hmm. you doing? What do you remember about that day? And you don't remember other days, but you remember where you were when special events like that happened. And uh, it sort of just popped up out of nowhere, right? Like there was no, even like in the fifth or sixth inning, you're kind of like, yeah, he's doing it, but... The pitch count's kind of up there. His stuff isn't electric. Like, and, and it just, it happens. And so I guess we, we can dive into it a little bit, but here you are two days out now. I mean, what's your, what's your sense of what happened on, on Wednesday night? I, I, first of all, I just got to say, to actually finally be there for an individual no-hitter, regardless of the team. I've never been at a no-hitter that was pitched by one person. One guy, yeah, because we were yeah. both at one last year. <laughs> we were both at the one in the World Series. But um, but to actually physically be in the building for that was really, really, really cool. Of course, it made it better that it was a Phillies pitcher in front of a Phillies crowd, right? So that's the, the vibe and the emotion was awesome uh, with, with the crowd. But I've always wanted to see a no-hitter thrown. And I can't just never have it. So like, so in and of itself, right. Just the, the, the buildup and the drama of, will they let him do it? Can he do it? And then he does it. I think that makes it that much better. Right. And even for me, like to sit there, like, cause I'm monitoring junior Marte, like for two innings, I, I can't, couldn't tell you one thing that the Phillies did at the plate in the seventh and eighth inning, because I, all I kept looking was to the bullpen. Is Marte throwing? Is he throwing hard? Is you know that that there? decision to leave him out there like went against every physical <laughs> mental fiber in his body action yep. of Philly's decision makers. Like they had to, they probably had to strap uh, themselves down. Like uh, they probably had to be restrained uh, on the bench. You know, well, it was absolutely because so, uh, I was convinced. I'm like hundred pitches after seven innings. I don't, I don't think, I don't know. And then I'm watching Marte because he got up right away. And it was just kind of like getting loose. He wasn't really throwing. And, you know, then and he keeps looking in um, and then he's like waiting. And then, I don't know, that's one out. And then at two outs, he starts throwing. And I'm like, okay, here's what I think is going to happen. And I turned to Tim Kelly, who's sitting next to, me, next to us uh, from Phillies Nation. And I said to him, so Tim, I think what he's going to do, because he's at 100 pitches, I think he's going to let Lorenzen come out, face a batter, 
and then remove him from the game so that the crowd can give him a standing ovation for having pitched seven and a third no-hit innings. That's really what I thought was going to happen because I just thought, thought the pitch count, there's no way he's getting through two more innings with 100 pitches through seven. Turns out, as you guys, as everyone heard, he gave Lorenzen 20 pitches. He said, you have 20 pitches. That's it. And it ended up being that he gave him 24 um, and said that that was his last batter. Like, if he walked Dominic Smith that. there. I don't believe that for what it's worth. Wow. I, I think that he had two more. Like, if there's a walk there and then there's another walk, yeah. I, I mean, I think it does reach a point where you just say we can't do it. But I just can't believe two outs, ninth inning, puts a man on, that's it. I just I, – I, I think you almost run the risk of, like, revolt. Not that they would all turn on, on Rob at that point, but right. – I think that you have to have some feel and, and to their credit, I think they exercise the feel for the moment. Yeah. That would not have been exercising the feel for the moment. You, you owe it to the player. You have to protect the player, but you owe it to the player in that spot to give him at least one more batter. Well, That's I think exactly. probably what happens is he probably walks out to the mound and has that conversation with Lorenzen on the mound. Yeah. And then you might be right. Maybe he leaves him in, right? Maybe that, maybe the whole notion of let me walk out to the mound have a conversation and then walk back to the dugout, leaving him out there. The crowd roars. You know, it gives him that little bit extra of energy for one more batter kind of thing. Maybe you're right. Maybe that's what he would have done instead. Um, but that, I mean, to me, that's all part of the drama of it, right? That's what made it so so real, so especially cool uh, to be in the in there uh, in that building for for that moment. Um, the other thing that w- really worked in Lorenzen's favor. Talk about like you know perfect storm of things is. The fact that they can give him eight days off now because they have two off days next week, right? And they're going with it. They had a six-man rotation. I think that's and, why this happened. Yeah. Uh, I, I do, yeah. Six-man rotation, the two days off next week. If, if those things don't exist, I'm not sure that it uh, – he might be out after seven. Yes. Yeah. I mean, he, and and Thompson said that. He basically said it. He said, you know, if, if we were on normal rest next week, he's done after seven. So – so, like I said, it was a perfect storm of, of situation. But, but yes, it's really freaking cool to, to, to be in the building for a no-hitter. And, look, Michael Lorenzen's a, it, it's a great story. I mean, I mean, I don't know if anybody's going back and watched, you know, the, the E60 that we put out on Crossing Broad that was done when he was in Cincinnati six years ago, um, you know, all about his dad and being an alcoholic and abandoning the family and, and how he decided to fly him out see his major league debut and and then you know he dies and he hits the the home run the day after he died or two days after he dies and like it's just the whole story is just awesome and so you know you know he's a good dude and then his mom's the story about his mom right she was she flies in because they're moving into a an apartment or something like that or whatever because they don't know how long they're going to be here right i mean he's only he's a free agent at the end of the year um and you know his mom come flies in to kind of help him and his wife move into the apartment like she was going to fly back out to california right after the you know right after helping them move in and decided to just you know eh, i'll i'll push my flight so i can see michael pitch tonight <laughs> and then she's there losing her mind like in, in the crowd and nbc nbc sports did such a good job with the tv coverage that night um I, you know i usually rip that network but man they did a hell of, <laughs> they did a hell of a job with the with the no hitter um so like the whole thing is just, uh, I don't know. I, 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 you know, it's, it is one of those things where you're, we're all going to just remember where we were, what we were doing when we, when it happened. And it's, it's something that's really special to the sport of baseball. What happens after the game, you go in, you're obviously the media is not allowed in while Rob's giving the toast. And then he's saying, thank you to the team, but you're, you come in a couple minutes after but what was the sense in the clubhouse afterward? And and we know so much of, of what happened last year was sort of vibe oriented. Like we yeah. know that there was this this feeling uh, captured in that clubhouse. It was like I don't want to say it was lightning in the bottle. I don't I don't want to diminish what that team was. Like I feel like that sometimes we have a, a habit of doing this. Where we're like, well, the fans in Red October, and it was a magical ride, and like all those things are true. But the players still had to perform when when the chips were pushed in right but i, I do wonder are, are we starting to see like those those same 
intangibles and vibes be conjured up here like it's starting to feel like old times again here a little bit now i'll give you a, i'll give you some color because i think that this is really this will really help so first of all keep in mind because of the fact that he pitches the no-hitter there's a lot of on-field you know a lot more on-field stuff right after the game than normal so that took that took a little bit longer then they get off the field and you go into the clubhouse and Thompson does his his speech, which you know they do the toast and you guys have seen that video because the Phillies put it out. But yes, we we were not in there for that. We're the whole time we're in the press room waiting for Rob Thompson. And Rob's usually a little bit longer than most managers that come out. I mean, I don't know if you remember Girardi used to be like the first like he used to be out in two seconds. Like I appreciated that. Yeah. <laughs> Rob is not that way. Rob, you got time. You have a I'd say on the average, Rob's about 15 minutes after the last pitch yeah like if you don't so, so for those of you that, that don't know and i guess a lot of you don't like the game ends and there used to be like a mad dash to the elevator <laughs> from the the press level down to the basement to get into the media room like right. everyone would cram in now you can stop going to the cafeteria you get a cup of coffee yeah make a couple calls <laughs> stand around and then you're still there for five ten minutes talking amongst the reporters before rob comes out which yeah, is I, uh, you know, yeah, no, I usually I keep so just just so people know, I keep score for every game. You know, I have a book that I keep score for when I cover the games. I don't do this for when I'm just going to the game as you know with my kids or whatever. But when I'm covering the game, I keep the book, and um, I usually finish like doing all the numbers for the book, like the totals in the book before I go down to talk to Rob. That's how much time I have. I know I had that much time to do that. And then I take the elevator down and I walk in and it's usually sitting there for like two minutes and then Rob comes in. Right. So we have this all this time and then Rob comes in and, you know, we have a little probably a little bit more time with Rob than usual, too, because there's all the things we wanted to talk about, the specifics of where could might you have pulled them? Where was this pitch count total? You know, what were you worried about? And this. So there was a, that was, I think, a little bit longer coaches press conference, too. So it's by the time we got to the clubhouse. It's 40 minutes after the game is over, okay? This, which is a much longer time than usual. And when we walked in, it was still a party. There was still hooting and hollering going on. You know, guys, all the guys are still drinking. I mean, it wasn't like the, the celebrations after the, you know, where there's champagne being sprayed everywhere on people's heads or anything like that. But everybody's got their beer or their or their scotch or whatever, their whiskey, whatever it is that they're drinking. And everybody's still, you know, laughing around. But it was the most full the clubhouse has been post-game for any regular season game this year. So mostly every player was in there. Um, and then, of course, like, so then here's the other color that I want to add to it. And we, the tweet went out, right? So we talked, I put the tweet out about um, Dombrowski walking in and then starting to chant his name, Dave, 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 Dave. And then they, you know, somebody yells out, nice trade, you know, which was really kind of funny. And then, you know, um, Brandon Marsh goes, oh, check out those biceps. Like, I mean, like, like that whole thing, like we, it's been out there. So it's like the whole thing is just awesome. But here's the best part. Lorenzen's doing his press conference. And there's uh, 10 cameras, 20 media all around him. And I'm kind of like squashed in. I'm right, right, I'm right to Lorenzen's right. So I, I'm able to look back behind the cameras. And back behind the cameras is Dombrowski standing there watching. And he's got his arm around Nick, Nick Castellanos. And Castellanos sitting there just watching. And you got, you know, Marsh is standing off to the side with Jake Cave and Weston Wilson. Like, they're just kind of like, but they're just kind of like just standing there watching this happen. And they're doing it together. And they're all just watching this take place. And that when you see that, you know that that's, that clubhouse is, is together, man. Right. That, the gen, that the president of baseball operations is standing there with his arm around, you know, one of his players watching a press conference of another player. You know, Nick's got a, you know, Nick's throwing down a beer and those three guys are really, I mean, like Marsh, I guess Marsh kind of looks up to those guys a little bit, even though he's, he's the more established major leaguer. He's still younger than both Cave and Wilson. So like, I, I guess there's kind of like that, you know, uh, relationship between those guys. Like they're just kind of hanging off to the side. Garrett Stubbs. Now here's another thing. This guy's the greatest. He has, he has this new, this new outfit that he puts on after a win. And it's a <laughs> it's a pinstriped overalls, white overalls with red pinstripes and the Phillies logo on it. 
and he's got nothing on underneath. So That's it's just beautiful. it's just the overalls. And last night, this isn't even after the no hitter. Last night, he's sitting around talking to like Reese and um, and Schwarber. And I forget there was somebody else that was there. How has this outfit not made its way to the internet yet? Well, I've I've decided that. What are you guys doing down there? I I, I just was this was last night was the first time I overheard this conversation. He's now talking to them about ordering one for everybody. <laughs> so could you imagine if this becomes like a post every after every win? That's every, like. That's like Every- Juco, like <laughs> high school type stuff. Like that's not major league baseball. Could you imagine? Salty veteran guys. You know, uh, yeah. It's hysterical. That's it's hysterical. Awesome. So I like, yeah, I, I'm surprised it hasn't become a thing yet. I mean, you know, All that right. that's not like, look, you want to tackle that? Go da- you go up to Stubbs today. Yeah, say, hey, man, like, listen, I think it's time to unleash this thing, you know? Yeah, yeah. I think it's a story. I mean, I certainly think it's a story, but last that's night funny. was the first time I, I overheard him telling those guys, I'm getting one for everybody. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, listen, you talk about uh, a heck of a trade by Dave Dombrowski, at least through two starts. Michael Lorenzen, 17 innings pitched. I mean, he goes eight. In his first start, comes back and goes nine. You know, I heard a stat, and it's been probably bounced around a, a little bit, uh, whether it's the radio, maybe it was on the broadcast, though I didn't hear it. The Phillies have five starts this year in which their starting pitchers gone eight innings or more, and two of them have come from Michael Lorenzen in his two starts. But 17 yeah. innings pitched, six hits allowed, two earned runs, 10 strikeouts, five walks. Uh, he's been phenomenal. He's really given a bullpen that's that struggled a little bit here over the, over the uh, past couple of weeks uh, a breather. Um, and then that brings us to last night. And I wanted to know if I was actually surprised that you were going to be able to wake up on time to to do this podcast this morning. Because one, I mean, listen, like we said, you've been down at the stadium the last seven days. I know you're tired. You're working a lot. But two, you spent a lot of energy on Twitter last night uh, waving the pom-poms for Aaron Nola. I mean, you were very excited uh, taking a what I thought was a, quite a victory lap after a five-inning performance by Aaron Nola. I don't know if I think I took a victory lap by any stretch of the imagination. I'm just messing with you. But, all, uh, I think I, all I think I did was call somebody out for their constant badgering of the guy because he threw 22 pitches in an inning. I know, I know. And, <laughs> and listen, again, it was a game where Aaron Nola gets very little defensive help um, and made his life a lot harder than it needed to be. What was your impression of Aaron Nola last night? Because I'll give you the from afar take, which is I'm not going to ding him for not getting that deep into the game or only, you know, allowing a run. Like, given his results over the past five starts, I thought last night was a step in the right direction, even if it wasn't a masterpiece. Mm -hmm. Um, He just sort of looked like he labored through that game a little bit. He just doesn't look sharp to me. Uh, yeah, credit to him for limiting the damage, I guess. Well, he la- I felt I felt he labored early, um, especially the first inning. I mean, it was the first inning was like okay, this this could go off the rails quick, and it didn't. Um, and and the the one thing I think that people miss a little bit sometimes with, and it has nothing to do with Aaron Nola, but more so with the Washington Nationals because they stink, right? But they are they are one of the hardest teams in baseball to strike out. They are they are the hardest team in the National League to strike out, and they're second, I think, overall in baseball to, uh, when it comes to striking out. Uh, so they don't strike out that much. They're the second best batting average in the National League behind the Braves, which is crazy to me. Like I, I when I looked that up, I was like stunned. Um, they don't have a lot of power. They don't have a lot of. It's the same thing with Miami. The batting average is great. They don't score any runs. Right, right. So, so, but that that kind of team, a team that doesn't strike out, and a team that gets a lot of hits, is the kind of team that you're going to end up throwing a lot of pitches against. And so, like, I look at that and say, could he have? You know, would it have been better if he got through six? Yeah. And they tried to get him through six, right? I mean, he sent him back out for the sixth inning despite having thrown. 94 pitches through five innings or whatever it was 97 pitches through five innings and much in the same way that they were thinking like uh with lorenzen it was like well he's going to get some time off here so we could push him a little bit longer because he'll have a little bit more time to recover um of course then he goes out there and gives up two singles not that either one was a a, uh you know a line drive i mean one was kind of a broken bad hit the other one i think he kind of jammed him but it was still you know it was a little bit better of a hit but he gives up two singles and then he comes out of the game um, Strom 
gives up one inherited runner and that's it. Um, but on the whole, I thought it was it was a better performance from Nola because the games against Kansas City and Pittsburgh were terrible. Just really his in, – in all honesty – were starts that I thought he was worse in than even like a game like the Dodgers game when they lost nine nothing. Yeah, like I kind of you go back and and watch that game and look at that game and say, yeah, okay, he wasn't good, but there he was better in that game than he was against the Royals and the Pirates, right? Right. So so that's why there was concern because then you look at who they were playing, two bad offenses, and he was struggling against them. Yeah, I would like it to have been some more length last night, but I don't think it was a bad start by any stretch of the imagination. I thought it was a, I thought it was a good step, and let's see where he because he's going to pitch against them again next week. That's his next start is I believe next Saturday against Washington in Washington is his next start. So um, yeah, what, we'll see. It's been a busy week. There's been a lot going on, a lot of storylines, a lot of action. I was impressed last night. I, I was because you know you you even said it. There was like this little this little bit of a hangover effect. Even as, a, as someone going down there to cover the game, you're kind of like, yeah. all right, like how do you really get up for this one? And they blow a ton of opportunities early. They load the bases, nobody out, double plays, just the same old stuff that we had gotten accustomed to seeing far too often this season, where you kind of felt like. Patrick Corbin's going to walk seven guys in five innings and they're going to let this guy off the hook and they're going to end up splitting with the Washington Nationals when it's all said and done. And then they get going late and they they come back and they win the game. And, and that's the thing I've kind of been waiting to see with this team. We've seen them peak. We've seen them give you reason to get up and kind of get excited about what might be, but they they've had a hard time really sustaining outside of that run in in June right where they they really went crazy like last night's a game that they just lose they lose it far too often and and for them to say no no we're not going to do that tonight it it it's really changes the the entire feel of the homestand because if we're talking right now we say hey, listen they just played a seven game stretch against the Royals and the Nationals and they managed to go four and three like okay like that's fine I guess but man that feels like a little bit of a missed opportunity Five and two has a totally different feel to it. It feels like they did what they were supposed to do. And we'll see what happens now this weekend against an opponent that, if we're being honest, compared to what we've just seen, the Twins are much better. But this is not exactly a world-class team coming in here either. No. On the and of, On the heels of a 3 nothing shutout yesterday at Detroit. Like, they just yeah. – they don't hit. They're not a great offense. You know, this no, is not, not- – special team by any stretch no like i said they have good pitching and that's and that's it i mean they got duran at the back too he's a he's a stud um so you don't want to see him in the game um no we talked about it last week bob when we were uh, when, when this when this whole homestand began and we said you know they have to go at seven and three is what it needs to be i thought i thought i said i think they can go eight and two um that was under the assumption that they swept the royals which didn't happen um, because I did think they were going to lose one to Washington, and I did think that they would lose one to Minnesota. So if you still lose one to Minnesota, you end up seven and three, and that's what you wanted on the homestand. I think that that's what you say. You went, you're going to win each series, and you go seven and three on the homestand, and that's exactly what you could – that's all you could really ask for. Um, so if they take two out of three this weekend, you you should be happy. Um, uh, but, yeah, you know, tonight's one that I think that they have to get. Um because Keuchel stinks. He's yeah, he just uh, it's his only a, a second game back in major leagues. Dude throws what 85, I mean 86. He's he's no good anymore. He's got nothing left. This is a guy that they should just tee off on. Um Are, so are we'll, we getting uh Christopher Sanchez tonight for the Phillies? Sanchez for the Phillies tonight. Um It's weird like cuz they're just they're TBD on the uh official probables. Uh, I, I don't know why they haven't just let it rip here and well, I mean, that's a good question, actually. You know, and now that you're making now you're making me think that because <laughs> I don't want to say this. I don't know how to say this because this is just just popped into my head. There was a conversation with Rob after the game last night when we were talking about the pitching and how it's going to line up and things like that. And he did say they're going to go back to a five man rotation after this homestand, mm-hmm. and. Because it was because he was asked about Sanchez and he says and he said well we'll talk about it when we get there 
and it was like he just kind of was like just like this dismissive thing about Sanchez, mm-hmm. and it almost makes me wonder if the fact that they haven't announced him as the starter, if there's something, something going to happen. something brewing here, something brewing. Yeah, just I don't, curious. I, don't I, I assumed it, I mean it would be his turn, so I'm I'm a little bit surprised that at least for tonight, even if they had some interesting plans the remainder of the weekend that they don't well, have listed. But I think he has to now, and the reason I say that, Bob, I think he has to start because. They've already announced Lorenzen's not pitching till next Friday, mm-hmm. and Noel is going next Saturday. So that right. leaves four other guys. That's okay. Not Wheeler. All right. It's not Wheeler. Not he's going he's gonna to pitch in Toronto. And I assume Suarez is going to pitch in Toronto, right? I mean, it would have to either be Walker, Sanchez, or go bullpen guy here. Right. I mean, that's just, so that's what I'm so, so Walker. So Walker and Walker is going to have to pitch. He'd tomorrow. be on four days rest if if he went tonight. But why? Yeah, right. I mean, no, he's, okay. I mean, you know, yeah, he's going to have to go tomorrow. And by the time this show is actually yeah. rolled out, we might have an answer to this. So I don't want to spend. Yeah, too much time no, no, I mean, it's, yeah. it's, no, but it's worth it's worth questioning because you know now you now that you said it, maybe this is maybe this is Sanchez's last start, and then they send him down. Yeah, maybe that's what he was kind of indicating. I don't know. Um, real quick, I do want to just touch on uh, two other uh, quick items here. Uh, as as every Phillies writer told us at the exact same time on Twitter last night, Bryce Harper <laughs> left the game with mid-back spasms. Uh, what degree of concern should we have about that? It's uh, a great question. I mean, he wasn't made available after the game. Um, Thompson downplayed it, said it was day-to-day. Um, they don't know when it happened or how it happened. Um it, it, to me, it looked like it was like that awkward when the ball hit off the base and bounced up and hit him in the face, just kind of the way his body was kind of positioned there and he stumbled forward a little bit. Um, maybe something, you know, muscles started tightening up there and he did happen at bat uh, or a plate appearance after that. And he drew a walk um, and then was out of the game. So maybe as he was on the bases, as he was trying to run, maybe it he started to feel it tighten up and. You know, they got to massage that out, and they said day-to-day. So, I, I don't know. I think it's a situation where he, he's either – they're facing a lefty tonight. Maybe he's out of the lineup. Yeah, I think it's fair to say that if you have tickets to tonight's game, you might not see Bryce Harper. Yeah, he, he might not play tonight, um, and I think he might not see him at first base for a couple games. But I think that that's – I think he's okay. The other the, – the one that I think is more of a question that they kind of just, you know, clouded over it a little bit was – This is why like, it concerns me. Yeah, which is was real Muto. Um, so Stott, first of all, they asked about Stott too because Stott got beaned by uh, La Sorsa after he gave up the the, the home run to uh, Castellanos, um, and he's okay. I mean, I know they went out and checked them and this and that, but they, you know, Thompson said afterwards he's fine. Stott was in the clubhouse afterwards. He looked okay. He was you know doing things normally. You know, didn't have any wraps on his hands or or arms or anything. So he's fine. Uh, but real Muto, uh, most people missed it, but took a foul ball off of his throwing hand um, in the ninth inning, and it doesn't. It was hard to tell from the replay where exactly it got him. It like maybe looked like it like nicked a finger or or a thumb area, um, and uh, he you know they did do a quick look at it, and he said he was fine. And he went out and um, finished the you know finished the inning. Uh, but when Rob was asked about it afterwards, they said, um, yeah, we're going to get him looked at again tomorrow. That's it. That was the total update on him. Yeah. And so when you say we're going to get it looked at again tomorrow, did that mean that there's something that showed up on the x-ray you did tonight and they want to take a look and see what exactly is that and take it a better, you know, closer look at it or, or what? Is the swelling too bad? They can't tell through the swelling. I don't think JT's catching this game tonight either. Just, yeah. just my prediction. I could be completely wrong, but uh, just my prediction. Well, needless to say, any world in which Bryce Harper and JT Real Muto are both out of a lineup, and if it happened to be for a few days, it's going to make winning this series a little bit more difficult. Um, I, I will yeah. say that. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, let's uh, hit it with uh, one last thing here and uh, wrap it up. Well, so one last thing tonight is is one that I thought about bringing up on the last episode but it had not really blown up until right after we recorded. Um, And so I figured I'd, 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 you know, bring it up now. But this whole thing with the Orioles broadcaster, Kevin Brown, (laughs) has to be the most 
ridiculous decision by a professional sports team about one of their own employees I have that I've ever seen play out in the public. And the fact that the Orioles have not responded to the overwhelmingly negative feed uh, response, not just from the public, but from broadcasters of every other team and media members from across the country is is mind-blowing to me it's is this is public relations 101 and they're just like we're not saying a word now kevin brown's supposed to come back on the air tonight going to be interesting to hear what happens if he says anything or if he's been told you can't say boo it's it's must tune in TV for the start of the Orioles game, but my God, what was what is John Angelos and the Baltimore Orioles thinking for doing what they did to this poor guy? So a few things. One, uh, you know when you see these clips on Twitter, like this broadcaster has been suspended, and you you press play and you're waiting for it. You know you're waiting for like, yeah. oh God, he really said that moment. And you're listening to this and then it ends and you just say, well, wait, what did I miss? Let me go back and play it again. <laughs> and, and so you play it again and you go, he didn't say anything wrong, right? You probably know that these statistics that he was rolling out about how the Orioles had, had struggled against Tampa Bay for so long. They're doing something this year that they had not done in, in a very long time. All of this information was in the team's game notes. Yep. All he did was basically recite the game notes on air. It's something that you wouldn't even think twice about. And so, on top and on top of that, Bob, there was a graphic built. Yeah. So so the yeah. it was pre- there was a collaborative, like it's not he went rogue and just started talking. This team has really been fucking terrible <laughs> for a long time against Tampa Bay. So everyone, you should really appreciate this turnaround. <laughs> right. That's my yeah, point. This, was a, this was a concerted, thought about, planned out effort. Now, the, the other part of it though is you talk to, and I have some friends that are Orioles fans and they're really excited about the team this year. And they don't quite hate ownership the way they had previously because one, they're winning in the present and two, they have wave after wave of prospects coming. And this thing looks like it's going to be sustainable for a few years, even in that yeah. division. But there is, has been a long running sensitivity from that ownership group about their perception of being cheap. And I guess they felt like this is highlighting our our approach over the past few seasons that we didn't spend money we weren't doing what we were supposed to do like er, there's just this hypersensitivity to the team's recent failings and and so there you go now here's the other part of it though that announcer is very highly regarded around around the sport and if i'm him and i'm coveted by other outlets other teams I, i don't know I probably take the high road tonight. I probably don't address it. And then I get the hell out of there. I say, I'm good. You know, if you're going to do that to me, like I, it's the type of thing that as a professional, if people like me that much, if people think I'm that good at my job, I'm young and up and coming. Like there's a lot of people who think he could be a prominent national voice moving forward. Yeah. I immediately start looking for my next move there. Yeah. The only thing that, the only thing that I was told yesterday is he, they just signed him to a multi-year contract so that it i don't know how hard it is to maybe get out of that yeah you know or you know maybe i mean what to what degree do the orioles hold their ground here yeah well they better make it right like you said no public comment to this point maybe they're waiting for him to go out first and then they piggyback it but you know for me it's like yeah i'm under contract but you better you better make this right because the, the only thing i would say it's it's not like their comment doesn't make him look better. He already looked – he doesn't need to be – he doesn't have to look better. Like, nobody right. needs to make him apologize or nobody – like, it's not going to impact the public's perception of him. Right. I think he's already in good standing. But, you know, there should be just a, hey, we messed this up or this is – there should be some acknowledgement of it. They better. And I thought it was only only appropriate. It's truly the- bizarre. What a weird story. I thought the I thought it was only appropriate that on the night that that whole thing blew up and became <laughs> such a big deal that they gave up a go ahead grand slam to Kyle Tucker in the yeah. ninth inning and lost that game to to Houston. I was like, that's karma right yeah. there. That's karma. What do you think about what they did at the trade deadline or didn't do at the trade deadline? 
Oh, they got um Jack Flaherty. Jack Flaherty, right? Is that is that enough? I mean, I I, I always have the thought. And I know where they're at. I know they probably feel like this isn't really us yet. We haven't totally arrived. But I'm like, you're winning the AL East. The Astros aren't the team that they've been in past years. There's some vulnerabilities in the American League. Like I'm of the thought that I don't know if there was like the Phillies. I don't know if there was a true difference maker to go get. But man, like you only get so many cracks at it. Like you don't know when it's all going to set up for you like this again. I'm I'm yeah. a little surprised. I guess. I um. Yeah, I mean, look, I I think that there's also some. You got to remember, their GM came from the Astros, right? So so the this team has kind of been built in the in the in the same mold that the Astros were. The idea is is they're going to get good, and then they're going to be good for a long time. Um, so this is kind of like pre 2017 Astros right now. This is you know the six maybe 2016. This is like the year before they went to the World Series. Um, so yeah, I think it's the, the concept is, Hey, we're good. We're good. We're young. Let's just give it a run with what we got, but we know that we're going to be this good again going forward. Um, let's see how far these kids can go on. They're pretty much on their own. Right. You know, we'll, we'll make a nice, we'll make an addition. They'll help the pitching staff and you know, okay, that's cool. Um, and let's see how these kids do, uh, you know, carrying us on their own. And hey, if they make a, if they get in the playoffs and they win around, we you know we lose the ALCS, whatever. Hey, it's a great season, and there's a lot of excitement to build for this team going forward. I think that that's probably their mentality, right? Um, but I certainly see it the way you do. I, I, if I'm, and maybe this is this is a flaw in today's sporting world, but I've always been of the mindset that if I was a general manager of any sports team, my goal would be to win every year. Right. And I understand that there are going to be years where you don't win, you you can't win, or whatever the case might be. I get it. But if you have that opportunity to win, you try to win. You go for it. And the fact that they didn't, yeah, I I, I roll my eyes a little bit at that for sure. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Um, all right, well, that will do it for the latest episode of Crossed Up. You can follow Anthony on Twitter at uh, AntSanPhilly. You can follow me on Twitter at Bob underscore Wankel. You can follow the show account at UpPhillies. And make sure that you're subscribing to us on YouTube, uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere that you get your shows. And we will talk to you on Monday morning.